Often and you are tuned into People Have the Power, where this week we are joined by special guest Shaky Graves. Now, this is a really great conversation about Willie Nelson, the Austin music scene, and most interestingly, how Shaky's perspective has really changed on music in the last year of COVID. So, really deep conversation. Hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. Thanks. So, now you are, are you just hanging out in Austin? Yes, I am. Nice. How is it in Austin these days? It's it's uh, very futuristic, uh, kind of crowded. You know, everybody is still a little freaked out from the big snowstorm. And uh, also spring has hit, so everybody's out getting drunk and not wearing masks and acting crazy because it's Texas. So it's an interesting hybrid of a uh, past, present. You know, I mean, dude, unfortunately... <laughs> You know, unfortunately, it's funny. I interviewed, speaking of Austin, I interviewed, you know, the god of Austin yesterday, Willie. And, uh, yeah. dude, I mean, it's funny because he has this book coming out called Dear America, Letters mm-hmm. to, you know. And <laughs> what can you say, man? I mean, it, it's just like, dude, I mean, it's like we finally get to a point where now we're nearing an end of being able to and actually go out. And then right. that comes, that signals the fucking mass shootings again. So not to start off right. on a bummer, but it's just, it's hard not to like be. <laughs> I mean, it's also, it sucks being in the, in the, the jaded reality of it all where I'm like, I'm not surprised somehow. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, here we go. Great. Like just until the next, uh, you know, reality check that we forget instantly. Yeah. Well, well, you know, Willie's still cool. He's still, he's like, you know, he's like a magical fairy that just appears and is nice and won't die. You're like, just don't die, dude. Just keep going. Well, I was just telling my producer who's on the line because I did that one just as a phoner. It's, uh, you know, I mean, the thing is, he's 87 years old and the dude never slows down ever. He's already, he was like telling, he was was quoting me lyrics from all the new songs he's written. So messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, dude. Yeah, the one time I I met him one time and he was recording two albums at at the same time. I was like, what is going on? But, you know, it's funny as a younger artist, uh, you know, how inspiring is that to see someone at that age who just like not only doesn't slow down, but still, I think the coolest thing of all of it, he still fucking loves it so much. Well, he's done the my favorite thing about him is that like. You know, I'm not like a crazy Willie Nelson maniac and there's tons of Willie that I haven't heard, but he's always been, he's literally like, I was explaining, I was talking about this to someone the other day. It was like, it's like living in a town that Santa Claus lives in, but you never see him. (laughs) And then actually seeing him in real life, like meeting him in person, I was like, this is so much more mind blowing than I thought it would be. And then he was just a very human. He was exactly how, like, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of dissonance between his public image his his reality he's kind of figured out how to do everything from like sonically selling out you know going from like from outlaw country to doing but you know like a for all intents and purposes like a pop song you know like doing an elvis song and all of it the whole time you're like yeah cool it doesn't seem cheesy it's like right on he can do whatever he wants i'll listen to it or you know give him a thumbs up 
Well, it's funny. We were talking about that yesterday and how it's funny because he was saying that he was a little, and we'll come off this in a second, but it all ties in with as an artist and, you know, evolving in all this. And it's interesting because I was talking with him about, you know, when you stick around the industry long enough, you just yeah. reach that point where you can do nothing wrong. And we were talking about how in the last year, <laughs> Dolly has become the patron saint of America. Actually, she's <laughs> awesome. I know. You know? Yeah. I, I, I love I, her, but it, it, it's so it's, interesting when you say that about, you know, how he can do nothing wrong and he does it without being cheesy. For you, as an artist, talk about how inspiring that is to see artists who evolve and do this. And it's funny because on a random note, I was just texting the other day with Courtney Love because we're friends and we were talking about, she was talking about how older artists can actually yeah. surpass their earlier stuff. Yeah. You know? So all this ties in with you revisiting material that's 10 years old for you. Exactly. And, you know, seeing how it grows and how you change as an artist. I mean, all of that, like, I think it's inspiring too to just kind of not, um, not take yourself too seriously. It doesn't seem like Willie, you know, the effortlessness in which he just willies out is like, I, I mean, looking at myself 10 years ago, it, the, the best thing about it is that I kept a bunch of journals and shit. And cause it was like still at the point where I had a really terrible cell phone and, you know, I was out living my like early twenties. Like I have a guitar. I'm going to go to New York city, you know, like chase my dreams. I'm, I'm 20 years old or whatever. And I was <laughs> writing, you know, I have a pile of these little books. That's like just shitty notes I made on my first subway trip and all this, you know, like it was basically, you know, at that point I was just making wishes. You know, I was like, man, what, what I wouldn't give to just like be free in the world, you know, like to just travel around. And, you know, I still had like kind of hobo fantasy stuff, which is not the reality of being, <laughs> you know, like I don't really want to live in the woods. Um, but at the same, like at one time I was on, on a, on, on tour in Canada and I had a woman after the show uh, be like, Hey, come over here. And I, and there was like a fence in between us and I was like, what's up? And she's like, yeah, you know, your first album, um, encouraged me to go homeless. And what happened to you since what's wrong with you now? And I was like, what, what? Like, <laughs> like you read into this super, super far. Like, you know, I, the, the first record looking back at it, it had a lot of fantasies of that, of like, you know, of, of just kind of like running away and, and, stripping your clothes off and running, screaming into the woods because society's fucked up and you're young or whatever, you know? And at this point in my life, looking back on it, I did a little bit of that, but I kind of ended up running into a nine to five job on accident. You know, like your rebellion through music becomes a small business on accident in the, in the future now where you're like, right, I suddenly have to deal with like t-shirt sales and all this stuff that started as such a pure, you know, artistic endeavor. And so when you look at people like Willie, where he, his, his goal was just to allow the most people to hear his music at any given time. And that was kind of like what he did and just did it bravely. And that sort of kept him rolling with the times in the same way that Dolly is like, yes, these boobs are real, you know, or whatever, you know, like she just is herself, you know, she's like, I'm Dolly and I don't let you know too much, but like, this is me. Every time I'm on camera, you know what you're going to get. It's Dolly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, same thing. Like they're both business people and maybe Dolly more than Willie makes it definitely, you know, that, I mean, she has like a theme park, but somehow in this weird fucking consumer, you know, hyper-capitalist landscape that we all, that we all fuck in. Um, 
it's nice to see somebody run a business and that you're happy to pay for, you know, to, to have that purchase not seem gross somehow is like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not something that I would think of as a goal, but then when you really look at it under a microscope, it's, it's impressive. You're like, that's, that's one way to survive, I guess. But it's interesting because like you say, I think the important thing about it too is, and it's funny, you look at like what Neil Young then has done with his archives and all that. But right. the thing about all these artists have in common is they really just love what they do. And so yeah. it feels like a natural extension of that versus simply, uh, you know, I'm going to write a shit song for a commercial that's blatantly, you know, I won't name any, well, name any names. Although I just did a story for Forbes recently on the worst lyrics of all time. So I'm very comfortable talking, you know, but these songs. Oh, Oh, I would love to read that. Mm, Well, you know what? I'll never ask people to name the worst, but then I will ask you, because I also did one on the best lyrics and the best written songs of all time. So for you, what comes to mind for you as, as, you know, like a favorite line from a song or the best written song of all time? Best fuck me, the best written song of all time. Um, oh man. Oh, see, I already freaked out with like the your protest song question because I was like, what the fuck is a protest song? Like when I started <laughs> thinking about it, I started being like, what isn't a protest song? Um I mean, it's kind of like it's sort of in in two different camps for me because I really appreciate nonsensical lyrics, you know? I really love like David Bowie just making up stupid words and making them sound cool somehow and selling you like random brain stuff, you know, as opposed to like a poem, like a big long, you know, Bob Dylan poem. Like that's cool. That's an incredible feat of writing. But sometimes I'm like, you know, whatever moon age daydream is, is a great, is a greatly written song. I'm not sure lyrically, but it's the best lyrics I've ever heard. But <laughs> It's like, did he sit and pen like, uh, you know, free ooh yeah 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 or whatever as he wrote the the stuff? I don't know. I mean, I guess there's like, I always really liked. I mean, in the Bob Dylan realm, you know, not too poetic but pretty photographic. I always really loved Girl of the North Country and uh, Don't Think Twice. It's all right. Both kind of like bitchy, uh, passive aggressive songs that paint a picture of something. I mean, don't think twice. It's all right. It's a very passive aggressive song, but uh, it's funny. I, I, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. And I, I really truly believe that it's the harshest song of all time. And it does oh. it without, you know, being a t- like it does it. And like, I just can't think of a nastier line than you just kind of wasted my precious time. That, you <laughs> yes. know, it's that, brutal. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's brutal. It's, it's, yeah. I also love the evolution of Dale. And it's funny because we keep coming to evolution, but I think when you look at records 10 years later, it, yeah. it is a natural progression. But it's interesting because I'm so fascinated with the evolution of Dylan. Of, of, and Tom Petty followed a very similar path to me. Of yeah. these guys who write these, like you look at early Petty shit, like you got lucky, which is such a, like basically such a cocky, macho, bravado song. And then <laughs> wrote a song like Best of Everything. And you look at Petty, or Dylan writing, don't think twice, it's all right. And then just 10 years later, writing If You See Her Say Hello. I right. think that's so amazing as an artist to be able to open up like that. So it's really interesting tying this in with your shit. When you go back and revisit Roll the Bones and then come to where you are today, it's yeah. interesting. Do you see 
in evolution. And, and it's funny, like there are ideas of, of there's a, a train of thought in literature because I was an English major that as a writer, you're always revisiting the same theme and trying to perfect it. So do you see through lines from the stuff from 10 years ago and how it's evolved today? Sure. I, you know, when people ask me about like my writing process and whatever, I, it, it's hard for me to even put a, put a finger on it. Um, I guess I am always trying to, it feels like I'm always trying to write the same song. Like I, I, maybe not the best song in the world, but I, I'm, I'm usually trying to like alleviate pressure in my own head somehow, as opposed to just kind of telling, telling a fantasy or making up a story. It's usually based around like uh, something that I don't even really understand. I mean, for instance, like Roll the Bones, the song itself, I, I don't really know even specifically what I'm talking about in that song. And that was kind of the point of it is that when I wrote that melody, I was like, oh, this is a crazy, this is a very strange melody. And I didn't want to make it about something. I felt like that took away from the actual music of the song. And so I made it a little bit about like, I read somebody's writing about like some, some fan wrote about what they thought it was about. And they thought it was about someone faking their own death. And I was like, it's way cooler than I could have ever figured out. Like, sure. That's exactly. That's, maybe that is what I'm hinting at. Like, yeah, maybe you are right. Um, but I mean, the first that, that roll the bones was really in retrospect. It was a, it was a, a, a young man's fantasy about, you know, escaping, orbit like like man i can't wait to get out of my own life and then it's like out of the frying pan into the fire you know like you get what you wish for you get out of your life and you just realize that you're sort of in a jail within a jail it's like there's no real out you know and so my kind of escapism was what that record was about was like constantly being like if i could just get over that hill it's like paradise is right there you know and and and, and the reality is that you know paradise is just wherever wherever you you're happiest, wherever you're surviving, you know? And when I, when I see the way that I wrote those songs in the beginning, I, I can hear my own kind of curiosity. And also I can hear that sense of not writing it for anybody. I was kind of unexpected, like, like maybe some people will hear this, but I wasn't ever writing for an audience cause I didn't have one. <laughs> so it's <was> like, <laughs> if anything, I, 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 I can look at certain songs of mine and really hate when I hear myself trying to get a notion across, you know, like really trying to be like, you get what I'm saying? And people are like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right. I did that a little too heavy handed. Um, but at the heart of it, I still feel like I get away with a song that I'm not totally sure what it's about, but it's sort of broad strokes that I let people pour their personality in, you know, to where it's not about me certainly not about me. It's not like a confessional in any way, but it's a confessional that we all have at times where you're like, Oh, right. That time that I was a total dick bag and thought that I was actually crushing it. That's what the song's about. <laughs> like about a bunch of them, you know, seasons of life. Well, it's so funny that you say that. And I love that too, by the way, because it's funny. Like I interviewed Ani DeFranco not long ago and I was asking about the new album. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously we're talking about that and we we're talking about like lyrical themes and she's like, I don't fucking know. Ask me in 20 or 30 years. And I think for a lot of artists, there is that idea that you really like, it takes a long time for a record to process because good writing is so subconscious, but it's really interesting what you were saying, because obviously on Georgia moon, you cover Springsteen, who is my favorite artist in the history of the world. That's my number one. <laughs> and I remember seeing him though in, 
88 on the tour where he did the speech. I don't know. Have you seen him live or are you a fan or obviously I have. a fan? I, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about this. Keep going. Yes, I am. I've but seen in 88, when he was doing Born to Run, he would talk about the fact that, you know, this was so interesting. He talked about how much that song was him and how much he didn't want it to be him. Right. And I always thought that was so interesting. So for you, when you go back and look at this stuff, are you surprised by how relevant it is to your life today, but also how much you've wanted to grow out of that? Because I think that's a very natural thing. It's like you have these fantasies as a kid of what your life is going to be like and who you are at 20 something and then realize, <laughs> wow, I'm kind of a fucking douchebag. At 20 something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and maybe you weren't, I was, but right. you know, well, I think we always, you know, we, it's, it's important to never think you're out of the woods on like, great. I'm finally awesome. I was like, well, that might be a sign <laughs> that you, 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 you maybe aren't, you know, I'm like, I, I, uh, to the, to the Bruce Springsteen thing too, it took me a long time to come around because my parents were big Bruce fans. And of course I rebelled against that for a long time. And then, you know, found Bruce around when I was making these, like me and my friends all found Bruce on our own way. And, you know, it started with Nebraska and then I worked my way up to uh, darkness on the edge of town. And then just love, it's one of my favorite albums ever. And on the songwriting thing, I was going to mention uh, before that too, is that I think racing in the streets is one of my favorite written songs also. Uh, and Darkness on the Edge of Town, the, that track, I, I love. It, it's very similar to the like, don't think twice, it's all right, kind of bitchy Dylan vibe, you know, that like, like if you ever want to find me, just like, go look at, in the sketchy part of town. Like, I'll be there. I'm just chilling. I don't need your shit anymore. Like, I'm out. I'm going to go under the bridge. And um, there was a lot of that in, in World of the Bones too, because I was like a bitchy, uh, boy scorn, you know, that was like my, I wrote a lot of that music after my first big heartbreak and immediately cast the girl who broke up with me as the bad guy in the situation. And then, you know, in, in retrospect, it's like, I was very, uh, break with, you know what I mean? Like she didn't do anything right. It was not her, her like throwing some beautiful oyster away, you know, like some, some pearl in the back in the ocean or something. It was like, she had her own needs. I was a little dick bag. You know, I was fucking 17, 18 or whatever. Like, how great could that have been anyway? Uh, <laughs> but it, it made for, you know, me finding a bunch of that music and kind of embracing my own wimpy machismo in, in, in my own way and be like, oh, I'm going to write these songs, you know? And then even as I tried to write kind of my own versions of Don't Think Twice, It's All Right or, or like, or like, here I go. I couldn't help but sort of realize I was the bad guy as I was writing. A lot of these songs have the, the protagonist as the bad guy in them too. It's, it's not so often on this record that anytime the main character doesn't sound like a, a little bit of a dick. And I kind of couldn't help but write it like that. And then in retrospect, I was like, subconsciously, I think I understood my own actions more than I could even like fess up to them in reality. You know, as far as I'm on fire, which is funny because it, if I was ever going to cover a Bruce Springsteen tune, that would literally be the last one I would ever cover because it's the most covered tune of his, like by far, <laughs> by, by, by probably like four times order of magnitude. And usually if I'm going to do a cover, I, I want to, I, I don't want to be like, you know, I'm going to cover paperback writer or something like something that no one particularly needs a, uh, a hot, perfect take of. And there's plenty of Bruce Springsteen songs, especially that I feel like 
get overlooked or, or are too Bruce-y sometimes. And that if you strip them back, you'd be like, oh, this is like, this is a beautiful little quiet folk song or whatever. But I, the I'm on fire thing was like, I wrote that melody. And then as sort of a joke, I was just listening to Bruce and just sang I'm on fire over it. And it just matched up and it was like on a tape four track. And I just bounced it off and was like, whoa. So just stuck to it. But that's that that's all i got on that yeah no that's really funny it's interesting dark is one of my favorites by the way this is so funny while we've been on the phone though i went and googled moon age daydream lyrics holy shit that is one of the i mean just that like i'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you keep your mouth shut you're squawking like a pink monkey bird and i'm busting up my brains for the worst that is like it's insane it's so good yeah i'm an alligator just kick just that's how you start a song i'm an alligator like fuck yeah yeah it's funny it makes me totally reappreciate i mean i'm a huge bowie fan but like you know in fact such a bowie fan i went and bought two versions of the david bowie monopoly because there was one i had to keep as a collector's <laughs> item because i refused to open it right oh man i haven't even seen that i bet that's great is it just it's- like song is it album song lyrics for all the or song titles for all the spaces. It's album titles, tours, all this stuff. Yeah. Very, very yeah. Cool. I, you know, it's so funny, by the way, because, you know, obviously we spend a lot of time talking about other people's songs and all this. You have your protest songs. I admit, I've kind of played with this format a bit. So it's like, it's not always so literally protest songs anymore. That's how it started. But like, I'm also happy to discuss written songs. You know, right. for example, or like when Alison Mosshart did the show, she's like, I don't really listen to protest songs, but she's like, I'm big on car songs because she had done a whole thing on cars. So the point of all this being is we can talk about the protest songs you want, or we can keep going in this direction. It's up to you. But I imagine the protest songs also kind of tie in to your idea of some of the best written songs anyway. I also, it's funny, I would have asked you as well, you know, because Austin is such an incredible music city and rich heritage, just yeah. some of your favorite Austin songs. So we started talking about... uh uh, Willie, obviously. And then yeah. one of my really good friends, uh, Meg from the band Meg and Dia just moved to Austin. So we had been mm-hmm. talking about Austin recently. So, you know, we can go in either direction you want with this. I mean, I mean, the, you know, the reason I picked, I mean, we, I, I'm down to just go off the rails in any direction. The reason I kind of picked the songs that I picked is that they, they, they have more stuff attached to them. Like they have, a, like, it's more like experiences of me usually kind of finding those artists and then being shocked by those songs. As opposed to, you know, like the Marvin Gaye one is 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 very much, that's not a very deep pool because it's just the first time, uh, you know, I heard that. It was like first time I really listened to it. It had a just like transcendent effect on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then besides that, it's like, that's all I got. I really like, I remember driving around in the future. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry not to interrupt you, but which Marvin Gaye song? Because on the list I was sent, there isn't Marvin Gaye. Oh, no, sorry, not Marvin Gaye. Uh, uh What's the fucking song? Um, Change is going to come? Ah, Sam Cooke. Yeah, Change is going to come. Sorry. Um, no worries. Yeah, the first time I, I you know, I was like, it, it couldn't be less old timey. was like driving around in my mom's Prius. <laughs> you know, I was like <laughs> listening to like, I was born by the river. And I, I, it's like fade in on a movie. You know, I could like literally see like, clouds part there's like a little tent and it's like a you know river rolling by and then it you know i think that that played into my own kind of escapism in life too and layered with race and you know all the stuff but 
I heard my own, my own want for change, you know, like it became sort of a, a personal protest, I, I guess, where it was like, am I ever going to get out of my own life? Same time, you know? Yeah, it's interesting though. It's funny because how that keeps tying back in with the idea of the escapism. So it's so interesting to go back and revisit the roll of the bones and to see now it's fascinating for you when you look at, you know, the idea of escape 10 years ago to where yeah. you are today. It's funny. How has the idea of escape for what, <laughs> I guess the idea of what escape was as a kid to yeah. the idea of what escape is as an adult, because they're so very different. It's interesting. I keep coming back to Austin, but I remember sure. talking with Gary Clark Jr., who I'm sure you've known for many, many, many years. Oh yeah. We went yeah. to high school together. Yeah. I love Gary. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, how his music had for the first time last, not last year, but two years ago, taken on a sort of social consciousness because he's like, well, now I'm an adult with kids. And as a father, yeah. he's like in my twenties, I just wanted to party and have fun. And then you mm. become an adult in your thirties and your priorities in the world changes so much. So for yeah. you, you know, talk about what the idea of, of the reality versus the dream of escape. I think it was that, you know, I still, I think everyone has, has deep, escape fantasies you know i think that's why collectively we have such a hard-on for the apocalypse is that it's the it's the you know it's the forceful hand of fate coming through and being like oh sorry i can't come to work today my town's on fire like ah you know you get you're like oh zombies are eating everybody i guess i get to like you know shoot a gun or whatever <laughs> but it's like you know at the end of the day you if you want to quit your job or go shoot a gun, you can just do that. But we all, we all kind of look for an excuse to abandon our responsibilities. And it's, you know, it's the reason that I think people even want to party in the first place. Like the, 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 the root, you know, of youthful debauchery is just like, fuck it, <laughs> you know, trying to figure <laughs> it out. And unfortunately, or fortunately, the more, you know, or the more you see your own life or the world around you, you realize that, you know, be it responsibility or just the fact that it's, you know, escape, escape is sort of a drug of its own, you know? And it, it's, uh, it's just the easiest thing to do. You can just run away from shit that it's literally the easiest thing to do. And the most challenging thing in the world is to take responsibility for the life that you've created at any time, you know? And, um, I think that's kind of my whole process with escape is that I, I've realized that uh, even at the time that I was fantasizing all, about all this, in retrospect, I had already escaped. Like I was living on my own in California. I was chasing my like dream of being an actor. I was fucking uh, totally alone and meeting strange people and learning the guitar and writing all these songs on a four track. And the whole time I was doing that, I was like, man, someday I'm really going to get out there and like actually do something, you know, and, and you don't realize that you're actually, you know, knee deep in your dreams coming true until you look back on them. So, I mean, even now it's, it's like, I kind of fantasize more about getting back to what I was doing 10 years ago, which was like being isolated a little bit more sometimes or having a, having a deep hunger to create because I didn't feel like I was able to express myself. Now I feel like I get to, blab about music and fucking write, you know, I have a drum kit in my room and, and I'm like, yeah, just don't play it that often. He's like, what? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's very strange. 
but now I, I guess I guess I have more of a hard on just for the process these days is like being high and low and and trying to be a little bit more full spectrum instead of all escape or all homebody I'm trying to balance it all out. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I have it. It's so funny because obviously we're talking about Roll the Bones, which is, you know, 10 years old. And so we're spending a lot of time in the past. But, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about is, you know, have you been writing a lot during this time? Because it's so funny. I mean, you know, everyone I've talked to has been, we've joked about the, the you know, uh, we start talking about Willie and how he's been writing new material. Dude, yeah. everybody has the fucking COVID box set because as an artist, you couldn't do her. So all you could do was sit and, you know, like I was interviewing Rick Sprinkle. He's like, oh, I've written three albums, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh no, the answer is no. I have not been doing that shit. I mean, <laughs> I, I've been secretly writing and kind of not noticing it, but I, I've I became such a creature of tour, you know what I mean? And um sorry, I'm grabbing a, grabbing some coffee. And I I yeah, uh, you know, that's the thing is like, I've been on, I've been hustling and hawking my wares and like that, that dream came true. My, my dream from 2009 about never returning home and just, you know, battling the elements and blah, blah, blah. It came true. And then I, I was like, man, what I wouldn't give to just go to fucking bed or have nobody call me tomorrow, you know, or, <laughs> or anything. And so when COVID happened, I, I did it. I was like, lock, lock me down, like <laughs> chain my hands to the wall and take my phone away. And, uh, no, I don't want to, you know, like, I, I feel like I've spent a lot of time hiding in my art from, from time to time, you know, being like, I'm sorry, I can't do any of this today. I'm, I'm a very important songwriter to myself. I have to go. And, uh, and it's like, at the end of the day, that, that has, that has turned into an excuse that I've abused sometimes. And um, I'm not sure if I'll really get a better opportunity to just be at home and be around my friends or not or whatever. I, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get this much of a break again, unless everything breaks again, <laughs> which it might. But um, yeah, I mean, I you know, some songs have popped out and I've written some really cool shit, but it, it, it certainly is not... Uh, not out of trying let's put it that way like some stuff has popped out i've really caught some cool stuff but a lot of it's been more like me trying to look at my business model or my approach to stuff or like why i make things you know like i've really looked at a lot of things like like videos and what i actually want you know like uh, as opposed to just making music and selling it in the traditional way that I have seen people do it in the past, like print a bunch of CDs and stuff them in people's hands and go on tour and, you know, drink a thousand water bottles or whatever. And now I'm like, well, what, what, what is a show? Do I, do I care about festivals? Do I care about, do I want all of this to come back full force? And I think the answer is kind of no, you know, I love having a, I love having a job and I love having a creative job and I love having a creative life you know but outside of that I, I can't help but feel like some of it is a little bit uh just sort of uh, mechanical and kind of gluttonous all at the same time so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just think about when things turn back on to whatever capacity how do I want to do stuff 
you know, as opposed to writing songs, I'm kind of trying to think about how to survive <laughs> in, in some way. Now, it's interesting because I remember I, you know, and again, I mean, it's funny because artists have had so much downtime and they've had time to talk. So I've done literally hundreds of interviews in the last year because yeah. artists who normally would be on tour are like, well, fuck it. I got nothing else to do. I may as well do an interview, you know? Yeah. So, but I remember talking with Brandy Carlisle about it, who I love. And she was saying that, you know, we were talking about how, you know, as an artist, you know, so much of the focus was on the smaller venues all of a sudden. And it's like, you know, people started thinking about places like the Troubadour and the 930 Club and Cat's yeah. Cradle and these iconic places versus she's like, I don't really give a shit about Target Center, you know, because there's no <laughs> history there. So I was like, yeah, but as an artist, you can't go and do a hundred shows. You can't go do a month of shows at the Troubadour. And she's like, well, maybe I can't. And that's not saying she will or she won't, but it's interesting because for a lot of artists, it has been an opportunity to rethink things. So for you, as you've rethought about what it is that you want to do, do you have you started to come up with ideas of, of what it is that you want to do going forward that might be different? Because I've also spoken to a lot of artists who are like, I don't want to go back to the hectic lifestyle. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the thing is that at the end of the day, it's easy to get tricked out of the fact that, or, or you know, it's like, well, you, you couldn't possibly just go play a small show that means a lot to like people. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, like, is this just like purely on a budgetary state? Or like, what are you talking about? And the answer is like, no, you can do what we can do, whatever the fuck we want. Like you, as someone who listens to music, what's your dream scenario? Do you really want to go stand in a field with 20,000 people and listen to Paul McCartney on a relay tower, you know, on a three second delay? where he looks like he's on your phone anyway. It's like, I don't know. I, I don't care that much. Like, I feel like the, a lot of the, the industry has become about hosting parties as opposed to any sort of muse, musical thing, which I love. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love doing drugs in a big group of people and getting drunk at a giant party and seeing lasers and stuff like that. But to me, that, that very infrequently has anything to do with music, you know? Uh-huh. And and so in the going back to it, it's like, I, you know, the, I, the bigger the venue got outside of some like Red Rock still feels kind of intimate somehow, but that's like, it's because everyone's just sort of on you like the Star Wars credits. Um, but, you know, often like a, a new modern venue, it just usually feels like it's just designed to stuff people inside of. And there are some great shows that match that. Um, but I've kind of just realized that, yeah, like maybe mine doesn't, or maybe I don't even want to make the type of show that does. Like I started to feel some of my music kind of got away because I, I started to become such a creature of tour that I designed, you know, kind of like arena rock or whatever. I started to make my own weird version of arena rock where I would get louder to match venues. And then it changed the way that I approached my own music and, and, you know, for better or for worse, you know, I, I, I can't tell, but, the other thing is like, now that I'm just getting to think about it all and be like, okay, it's back to the drawing board. What do you want? Like the last tour we did before everything shut down was a smaller tour. And it was like, you know, I feel like my booking agent and people were sort of like, are you sure you want to do this? And it was like, yes. And so what we did was smaller rooms, but we did them more days in a row. Like we basically did a residency and we would move into a building and set up. And I brought this like kind of living room set and would just basically set up a living room on the stage. And then we just kind of got to actually live in the town wherever we were for like three days. 
And that made all of our sanity return a little bit. Like I I could have toured like that all year long and probably not gotten worn out because we could like have our significant others come out and actually have time, you know, like you could wake up and, and go to the venue at four, just be like, yeah, it sounded good yesterday. We're not even going to sound check today. And just like, yeah, we, we were able to live a life and it made me way more present with the audience. Like I was happy to see people and felt like playing music and, and, uh, and I think overall it just made for a better quality of show and it made for something that like, if I went and saw that, I'd be like, that was great. Was exactly what I wanted to pay money to do, you know. All right. So, so who for you is the dream artist to see in that small setting? Oh God, I don't think tons of them. Uh, I mean, maybe David Byrne. Uh, granted, his his big show was so great. That was one of the like best uses of a big show I've seen. You know. Um, I mean, I'd love to see Brandy in a tiny room like that. That would be incredible. Um, let's see. Who else? Bruce. <laughs> I, want, I wanted to go see Bruce on fucking Broadway. I didn't get to do that. But, uh, I mean, anybody, like any band, loud or quiet, you know, I, I would love to see you in a 250 cap room. Period. Nice. All right. By the way, I do want to ask you about a couple more. It's funny. You're literally the first person to pick. Uh, and I, we've done like 40 something of these shows now, but you're the first person to pick Pink Floyd. So why Pink Floyd? Pick? What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I, you know, I was like, somebody's picked a different, for sure, a different Pink Floyd song. I mean, for me, it's that it, it tied into modern protest because I went and saw, because um, I'm friends with the Lucius girls and they, they were on tour with Roger Waters doing his last uh, gigantic, like, you know, uh, little arena tour. And, um, so I got a call and it was, uh, it was Jess. And she was like, she's like, do you want to come see Roger Waters at the, in San Antonio at the blah, blah, blah center? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Can I bring friends? She's like, totally. And so I was like, okay, let's definitely go do acid and watch Roger Waters in an arena. Right. Like what's the, <laughs> why, why not? And so we did, we got great seats. And I mean, it was like, you know, it was a, a LCD screen the size of the entire state. It's, it's probably the, one of the most expensive shows I'll, I'll ever see. <laughs> it had all these like 3D maps, projection screens that would make a city out of stuff. And anyway, it was, I mean, it was like, a th- it had an intermission. It was, a, you know, probably a, a three and a half hour long, like amusement park ride. It was insanity. But part of it was that he, he played pigs. He played all like 11 minutes, 30 seconds of pigs and pulled all these things from previous Roger Waters tours where they would have a big inflatable, inflatable pigs everywhere. And so this, this time they had like a drone, a big inflatable pig that was a drone and then written on it was Donald Trump is a pig. And then all over every part of the state was just like anti, like crazy Donald Trump pig stuff. And it was it was so cool and it, and it was san antonio so all of a sudden all these people started leaving the arena you know where i'm like what show did you think you were at like what like someone was like oh no 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 like roger waters doesn't like donald trump and you're like no i i wouldn't think he would um but it was just great to see something that's like you know a song that was written about some some somewhat specific stuff you know it's, it has the white house in the lyrics but it was about, you know, it was written in a different era, but it still applies. And if anything, it became more pointed 
based on current situations. Like it, it, it seemed like one of those songs that kind of time traveled and be- became even more specific due to the world surroundings at the time. So it was like, it, it, for me, I was like, that's incredible. This is just multi-use. And if anything felt perfectly weaponized at the time and, you know, it felt good to be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. So it's great. Nice. What about the, how is it pronounced? Hell you Tambayut or Tombayut or? Oh, uh, Hell you Tombayut. It's like Hell you Tombayut. Okay. So that's a Janelle Monet song that she wrote in like 2015. Um, I don't think she ever released, but there's a YouTube video. And just like we were talking about with David Byrne and his American Utopia set, that's the last song he closes with. He did it at, I, I saw him at ACL too when I was there, you know, and he did, he closed uh, his festival set with it also. And it's basically, it's like a drumline song and it's just um, names of, of, people of color who have been shot or murdered by police or, you know, like Trayvon Martin all the way, but like he added on everybody since 2015 who's been killed and it's just says their name. And then it just says, say their name, his or her name. And so the whole audience just says, it's like, you know, it's pretty specific, but it's also not preachy. It doesn't say anything except for the person's name and says, say their name. And so, you know, the whole audience ends up going crazy and just like you feel the weight of all the people that have been killed and it feels cathartic to say their name. It's like super inspiring and scary. And at the festival, same deal, tons of grumpy people like leaving the state. You know, I can't believe David Byrne cares about politics. You're like, this is so stupid. <laughs> the, 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 the whole like thing on the Internet where someone's like, hey, hey, man, stick to music. I'm like, what do you think music is? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <Crazy. laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I was thinking of it, you know, the, I think the most famous example now, and it's funny because you can go back to, you know, being a Springsteen fan. And I remember, you know, in 2004 when he did the Vote for Change tour and all yeah. these people are like, well, you know, I never knew that Bruce was a Democrat. I'm so outraged. It's like, have you ever listened to a fucking word? What probably you, yeah, not. <laughs> you know, you- probably never listened to, a, you know, but it's because right. I always think now of the LeBron James shut up and dribble. And it's like, oh, my God, I know. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, that couldn't even be that couldn't be more racist, too. We are like, just play basketball for me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, do what you're born to do and play sports for my entertainment. You're like, gross. It's disgusting. Yeah. Great. All right, dude. What do you, I mean, we've covered a lot. So what, what, what is now? So the record, the, the reissue comes out April 2nd. I know you've yeah. done a bunch of live streams in March. You know, yeah. it's funny as we now start to come out with the idea of, you know, slowly emerging from this in whatever capacity that is. But, you know, now you have Life is Beautiful in Vegas went on sale. You know, people yeah. are actually announcing dates. Like, do you have ideas of what's coming up for you as you've had time to think about it? Or, you know? I mean, I, you know, the wheels are the wheels are turning in in the same way where it's like, you know, I I'm supposed to potentially be going on some form of a tour in the fall, you know, by the end of this year. And there's a lot of things that are, you know, hovering as far as uh, vaccines and what it's even going to look like. And, and I have my own long range goals, but for now it's like, I just have to see even what it's looking like in general. I don't even know what a show 
you know, I've played some weird kind of pod shows and stuff like that, but kind of until I lay eyes on it, period, I'm not even sure what it means. I sort of was just like, yeah, I guess technically we have to hold dates because everyone's going to kind of try and make this leap at the same time this fall. People are going to be like, let's go. And uh, I'm not eager to be the first, you know, I, I, I don't think a show is worth people dying over, you know, unless it's a Gigi Allen show or something, but <laughs> besides that, it's like, I don't care. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather you be healthy and not kill anybody either. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be the first out of the gate or throw other people to the wolves and just be like, yeah, if you say it's okay, I'll do it. I'm trying to just kind of feel my own way in. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because like you say, I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, and for everybody, it's going to have to be a cautious approach and see, but you know, it also, it's interesting because some musicians have really struggled with being home. It doesn't sound like you've had that issue. Oh, well, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's been literally the easiest thing ever. I've just been really grateful for it because, you know, everything in my life has been sort of a, you know, the blessings have been on the opposite thing, which is like people, it sounds great on paper. Like, dude, it's so cool. You just fucking travel around. I'm like, yeah, I literally just travel around and throw the same party every night, kind of, which is insane. It's like, it takes a toll on your body and your mind. And there's some really cool perks to it, but it, it's, I, I think a lot of touring musicians are like, yeah, I lost my marriage and my family and my liver. And <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> all, all this shit. So I've been really, um, just not looking a gift horse in the mouth with all this. And it's been really tough to be at home and, you know, like dealing with the reality of family and, and, you know, loved ones and my house and all the stuff that I don't want to mess with has not been just a walk in the park, but I've been, I've been happy to actually take that on. feels good. Well, it's interesting because it's also, it's funny. I've talked about it with like, you know, whether it was like Tim McGraw or, you know, like all these different people like, you know, who are David Guetta, for example, was saying, he's like, I had a summer vacation with my kids for the first time in my life, you yeah. know? And it's like, I mean, I think <laughs> those great. are things, you know, that you have to appreciate, you know? So it's going to be interesting going back to what we were saying about Brent, you know, I think everyone's going to have a lifestyle change. It's just a matter of how you choose to implement it. I think that everything has changed. You know what I mean? Like I, it, it's the, the thing that I'm trying to keep, keep reminding myself of is that it's not like, Oh, it might change or it might be different. It's like it fully changed. We, we are through some sort of invisible barrier and you know, it's one of those like, yeah, you know, next week I'm going to start eating vegetables and it's like, just try a vegetable today or whatever. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm trying to take the steps into implementing these like futuristic secret ideas I have on how to release music and, how to not fucking build a million pieces of plastic every year that I should just toss directly into the ocean. And you know, all this, all this stuff, like trying to practice what I preach about being weird and, you know, living my life how I want to, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Cool. What do you want to add? We didn't talk about. Um, you know, I guess the, the other, you know, on this list of protest songs, the, the main person that I did want to talk about is Buffy St. Marie, who I think is right. just it's insane. Um, and I picked My Country Tis Up by People You're Dying because it's a, that is a like, you know, the lyrics of it are like four sheets long of her just talking mad shit, just talking 
total shit just being like cologne you guys killed all of my people you killed all of the native people and the song kind of meanders and it's crazy that it was like the biggest hit off of that record but she's got a bunch uh i did a whole thing right I, I i've i've gotten to meet her in canada and she is just absolutely incredible she she's just like wears leather pants and has this super cool uh native band that play like futuristic guitars and she does like primal screaming rock music and you know she was like the first person to breastfeed on national television on sesame street and she wrote all of these like cool you know she has this song called codine that's like the first kind of female pill addiction song that i've ever heard that is like Usually it's like, oh, I was a crazy young man who drank a lot of whiskey. It's just like I was addicted to codeine and was a wild, cussing young lady. And you're like, yeah, you didn't hear a lot of that. Anyway, I think a lot of her music is protest music. I think she's, it's like, she's also been covered by Elvis and won an Academy Award and like is just one of those people that is still alive and crushing stuff and is uh, kind of an unsung hero of 1960s folk music where I'm like, who? any chance I can, I want to mention her just because she is like walking protest music. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny. Like I got to interview Grace Slick once and it's like, dude, that like, like, you know, I love those artists where it's like basically, <laughs> you know, like we were talking about with Willie where, yeah. you know, the life and the music co like, you know, there, there's no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no uh, sort of distance between them. There's no discrepancy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Agreed. Where it's like, okay, this is who you know. And I think that's that's maybe what I'm talking about more in the sense of trying to kind of unify my shadow, you know, my career with my mind. Like I'm, I, I'm wanting, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of it, but there's still some areas that I feel like uh, I, I, I've sold, I've hawked goods as opposed to like created stuff. And there's just some stuff that I, I, I still feel dissonance in my own life that I'm trying to unify. And, uh, and that's kind of my goal moving forward into this weird futuristic bullshit we're all going through. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> to see what, you know, I mean, you know, I think it's fast. I, you know, I mean, it's going to be so interesting to see how that plays out for everybody. You know, Agreed. I, yeah. you know, I think that's the really interesting thing is, you know, <laughs> no one really has any idea, you know, no, I, I certainly don't, but I got some ideas. We'll see how they pan out. Cool. I, I got it. But anything you want to add? I think that's it. You know, it's a, uh, no, I think that's it. Cool, dude. Pleasure talking to you. Dude. Likewise. Great to talk to you. Alright, have a good one. Thanks. Peace. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you've been here on People Have the Power with special guest Shaky Graves. Thanks. <laughs>